I'm a teacher. If you haven't figured that out, that's what I do. Uh, it's it's one of those innate gifts. Whether I was a pastor or not, I would be a teacher. Whether it's putting a dog door in, I can teach you how to do that. I can frame a house for you and show you how. I, I, I'm a teacher. It's what I love to do. But I felt very strongly today that I needed to do more than teach. And I've actually debated why am I doing this on a Sunday that I anticipated our attendance might be uh, challenged because it is a holiday and many people go to be with family and some of you have tomorrow off and uh, we have a fireworks booth that got replenished, uh, I guess, yesterday. So there are people that would be here that are there um, and, and that's that's okay. But I believe enough in the sovereignty of God to recognize that he puts people in the places they need to be at the time they need to be. And I opened today's service with a couple of statements. If you didn't catch it, I'll repeat it. While it's 4th of July, it's Independence Day. It's the day we got our freedom. Spiritually, we get our freedom when we move from independence or self-reliance to dependence upon God. And by the way, uh, worship team, I, I want to commend you today. Just excellent, excellent job. Um, we were in Hillsong. They're known for worship. What you did today far exceeded what we experienced last week. So thank you. Thank you. You, you should be grateful. Tight, nice. It was wonderful. So thank you. How many have ever discovered this fact? Life hurts. Life hurts. It just does. You know, life hurts. Uh, you know, you've, you've heard it said you, you get up in the morning and you face life and you have a hard time and then you die. Uh, <laughs> you know, life hurts. Life hurts. I remember in 1983, we were building Christian Heights Church in Sonora, and Jill's dad was one of the volunteers that came down every day and helped, and we were uh, putting in the forms for one half of the building. It was a mirror building where you built this side, and then you just flipped it over, did the same thing on the other side, and the area between, we put a roof over and called it the mall. And uh, so we were over on this side, so we were putting some things together, and uh, if you know anything about forming, you know, you put the, we were using two by 12, so that'd give you an idea how tall that, that uh, concrete form was. And I said to my father-in-law, uh, I'll go ahead and hold that stake, you drive it. And uh, on about the third stroke, it was a metal stake, and on about the third stroke, he missed it and hit me on this left ankle. I uh, staggered back, <laughs> fell to the ground, did not utter anything profane. I was working at the church, and I was one of the pastors, so I couldn't. But, <laughs> but internally, I knew he didn't like me, but really, you know. Uh, everybody, it was so loud, the thud on my... I wore hiking boots, it was my work boots. It, it was so light, you could hear this thud against leather. And everybody knew what had happened. And of course, Greg was looking at me like, you know, most people would say you're sorry. I know that's not your generational thing, but you could start there. But you know, I get up and I, I just look at him, I'll never forget it. I go, why did you do that? <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I could find to say. That would be nice. Um, life hurts. That hurt. That hurt for several years. In fact, it's a great weather predictor for me <laughs> to this day. Is that, oh, it's going to rain. Um, life hurts. You know, there's a source. There's a source of hurts. It is huge. I, I listed some of them there for you. It, first, it's sin. Sin brings hurt. How about parental failure? Did your mom and dad ever let you down? Parents, did you ever let your kids down? Don't raise your hand. This is not the time. We'll have altar time later. Um, how about the, the death of a loved one? 
my my dearest friend. Now you gotta understand where I grew up. I grew up at, at Old Oak Ranch. It's a camp that's owned by our denomination. I lived 11 miles from town. Uh, kids came at, for summer camps. Kids came for school, and pastors came for conferences and retreats. But guess how many people were permanent residents in my neighborhood? 16 total, and there was three kids, and they all worked. They were children of people that worked with or for my parents. Um, so guess who I played catch with after every night after dinner? It was my dad. Um, when, when it was basketball season, who went down and shot hoops with me? It was my dad. Who was it that when I was 12 and had learned to drive? Yes, it was a private road, and yes, I did drive by myself at 12. And those of you that are older say, big deal. That's what we all did. But our kids would be shocked. You what, Dad? I, at 12, he would come and wake me up and say, son, it's snowing. You need to get out and get the plow going to keep the roads clear. Because until I could drive, he did that at 2 or 3 in the morning. And it was a thrill to do that for my, to put on that red stocking cap and my coat with the reflective things because you didn't want to get hit if you had to get out of the car. And, it, and that was fun. I did it because I loved my dad. And at 16, he had a stroke putting on chains in a freak snowstorm going to Lake Tahoe on Highway 88. And you know, what made me so sad is when the doctor said, you know, he was fatigued, he was at 8,800 feet elevation, and he was straining to get the chains to work. And I'm thinking, how many times did he beg me, would you please go with me on this trip? Would you please go with me on this trip? Would you please go with me on this trip? He's dressed to those days, pastors wore suits. He was in a suit. Guess who would have been putting the chains on? The 16-year-old dude that weighed 125 pounds. That wasn't going to challenge my health. And can you imagine the pain I felt thinking, if I'd have been in that car, why did I say no? Why did I say no? I know why I said no, because I wanted to stay at our home church and go to Sunday night service and check out the cute girl. I'll just be honest. And when my dad had a second stroke and died, oh, life hurts. Life hurts. Life hurts. Disappointments. You ever had one of those? How about rejection? Oh. Oh, I suffered that most of my life, and I didn't know why until I found out that my birth parents left me at the hospital. They put something in me I didn't even know, but it was there. Life hurts. Do you know there's spiritual forces that are opposed to you and to us in a corrupt world? Those are some things that, that signal the fact, the truth, that life hurts. Did you get that first fill in? Life hurts, exclamation point, or two, or three, or five. Now, I so much want to get this next point. Will you allow me to read what I wrote? It's true that pain is a natural part of life. We all deal with it to varying degrees. People die. Friends leave. Parents make mistakes. Sin brings tragedy into the world on a daily basis, and we're all vulnerable to getting hurt. Much of the grief we experience is manageable. It's manageable. But what about those events that you and I are really not equipped to deal with? We're not supposed to deal with them. Those moments of Emotional devastation that exceed our ability to cope. The wounding words from someone we love. The father who leaves for no reason. One of my dearest friends, every time I say that line, he tears up. Because he would get a phone call and say, I'm going to come take you fishing. And he could remember as a boy standing at the window. Waiting for hours for a dad that would never come. Life hurts. I hate to read this next one, but it's here. The uncle who turns into a sexual predator. The accident that leaves us physically or emotionally paralyzed. Do you know every single story of addiction is somehow rooted to pain? I've been pastoring since I was 22. 
do the math, 43 years, everyone that's come to my office or come to our home for counsel and they talk about addictions, every one of them has, if they, if they can get deep enough, they talk about life hurts. Life hurts. Every dysfunction, no matter how severe, can be traced back to a tragedy. Every eating disorder, every case of alcoholism, every emotional disorder that, that, that has ever been said to us has a history of hurt. Every person with a, a significant addiction, depression, dysfunction, no matter what the problem they're working through, could, they, they could describe a devastating event or a circumstance from their past. If told, you would hear stories of abusive fathers of neglectful mothers, of brutal neighborhood bullies, stories of emotional trauma and heartache, premature death, personal rejection, physical and verbal violence, shattered friendships, broken marriages, divorcing parents. Guess what? Life hurts. Point B, hurt is inevitable. Hurt is inevitable. All of us are going to experience hurts in life. I, I am a very protective dad. And my first child was born, I didn't realize how protective a dad I was going to be. And my, our first daughter is a micro-sized daughter. She barely cracks, she says she's 5'1", yeah, and heels and <laughs> on a block and everything else. And, and, you know, I remember when she cracked 90 pounds, I think she was a junior in college, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's just tiny. And, and I always felt, just because of her, her size, just felt a need to, to be protective. Guess what? No matter how much, no matter how much I tried to protect her, I, I couldn't protect her from hurts. Hurts are inevitable. Everyone experiences hurts. Every person I've ever counseled without exception is dealing with some form of deep-seated, unresolved, unprocessed pain from his or her past. See, there's two uncomfortable realities. By the way, you're thinking, I wish I hadn't come. He's depressing. The worship team was so encouraging. And then Mark gets up here and he's painting this picture of how lousy life is. Here's two unfortunate realities. Let me, let me, I want to make sure I get this, so let me read this to you. We don't try to hang on to bad memories. They hang on to us. No one displays photographs of grief and misery on their mantle. What do we do? We put pictures in and what, oh, look at, there's a family. If you were to look at my iPad, uh, which is right here, if you looked at the screen picture, it's our family uh, during the pandemic Easter that we were all in the backyard that many of you saw as our studio, we're all lined up in front of a, a fireplace or outdoor fire area with a picture, all, all of us. You know why I have that? Because it reminds me of in a bad season, that was a great Sunday. <laughs> I have to say we were criticized for that picture. Where's the social distancing? Not in my house. Sorry, it's my family. Um, anyway, we have that picture. Why do I have it? Because it's a pleasant thing. You don't put pictures on your mantle of grief, of misery. Uh, those are the events you're trying to forget, but they remain there just the same. Uh, when moments of chaos and confusion come into our lives, they have a way of hanging on. Are you with me? Of clinging to the core of our consciousness and clawing at the fabric of emotional health. They take up residence in the darkest corner of our hearts, a place that Jill and I in our teaching have often referred to as the hurt pocket. It's where something just kind of tucks in and it's there. And the older you get, guess what happens to that pocket? It gets fuller and fuller and fuller. The hurt pocket is where unresolved pain goes to hide and together. And, and once those painful moments set up house, filling the walls emotionally with photos of turbulence, of turmoil, memories of abuse, neglect, rejection, thoughts of insecurity and self-hate, and the more space it fills, the more it compromises, hear me, our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. 
There are moments of pain that begin to collect and build within us that gather inside the hurt pocket of our souls, leaving our spirits wounded and battered. And the memories they bring have a deep and profound impact on our lives. Just as joyous moments we capture on film and hang on the walls uh, work to lift our spirit, these painful memories work to tear it down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step of faith. Can anyone acknowledge? I, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. Well, here's the unfortunate reality. Number one there, few know how to deal with pain as we grew up. Jill and I came from parents that were the greatest generation. Our parents saw so many things through the Depression and through World War II, and particularly the people that fought in the war came home, and they just didn't talk about it. They were the stiff upper lip, just pushed through. They couldn't talk about it. The things they saw were so deep. I always said, my mom, we were if, if we had, she could have lived through every economic downturn we've ever had because she never, her mind never left the impact of the depression. It just so deeply impacted we don't know how to deal with pain. Now, there, there's a phrase that's common in, in Christian circles. It's, it's a well-meaning phrase. It carries more truth than a mountain of self-help books. But, but these words, I don't know if you've ever had them said to you. I have to me. They've often brought more pain than peace. It's a true fa- phrase, and it carries a lot of wisdom, but also a lot of frustration for those who find themselves on the business end of this comment. If you've been at church any amount of time, you've no doubt heard it. It it comes in a a setting where some person, one person, finally has the courage to to open up and share some deep-seated feelings of pain or rejection. And in doing that, they expose their innermost thoughts, maybe for the first time. And you know what follows? Awkward silence. Eventually, someone breaks the silence and says... Just give your pain to God, and he'll give you comfort. Or something like that. I don't know if that's ever been said to you, but it has to me. To which I want to say, I'm going to give some pain to you (laughs) that you can give to God. A person immersed in hurt has no doubt tried to give their pain to God. And they've tried over and over and over again, yet it still carries on inside. That's the unfortunate reality, number one. Few of us know how to deal with pain as we grow up. Number two is time heals nothing. Time heals nothing. Did you hear me? Time heals nothing. The phrase, time heals all wounds, is not true. It's a phrase, but it's not true. Why do you think the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, your anger? It doesn't say don't be angry. It says don't let the sun go down on it. Why? Here's what happens. You go to bed angry. You guess what? You wake up in the morning, and now guess who's had a chance to interpret the meaning of your pain, of your anger? Satan. Is he going to tell you the truth about that? No. Jill and I have been married 40 years. Have we ever gone to bed angry? Yes. Have I ever woken up and thought, why did I marry the devil's (laughs) ex-wife? And then I realize she's thinking, why did she marry The devil. (laughs) We've shared that we both were at a season in our marriage where we would pray, God, we can't get a divorce. It's wrong. Just let her die. And she was praying the same time. I don't want to ruin his ministry, and a divorce will ruin his ministry. So, God, you're going to have to take him home. What does that really mean? Let him die. 
we didn't know we'd prayed that until we both were in marriage class and, and or, or class that we taught at our church and we broke up one Sunday. She took the women, I took the men. And we each told that story separately, not knowing. And then the following week, dear Jan says, Pastor Mark, you know, Jill was praying you would die. <laughs> you were. Time doesn't heal the wounds. When you allow things to stay there, they get interpreted by the liar. God says, eat of all of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Just don't go here. How does Satan spin it? Weren't you told you're not supposed to eat? That's what he does. Time doesn't heal anything. Accumulated pain and unresolved problems compromise our mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational health. Did you hear me? Accumulated pain. All deal with pain in some way. Two words. You either cope or you resolve. You cope or resolve. That's it. That's the only two things. How do we cope? We cope through the three M's. And I'm going to be, when I'm doing I Am David, I'll actually teach a whole week or two on these three M's. So you just don't have to figure out what they all are. I'll just tell you there's what they are. We cope through medication, motivation, or meditation. Medication is where your addictions come from, addictive behaviors. And I'm not talking about pills. Understand, you can medicate pain with alcohol. You can medicate pain with sex. All right? Motivation. Anybody heard of workaholic? What was I accused of for about 30 years? Geez, you never come home. You're at the church seven days a week. I was. I have quite a resume of church buildings that I've built. For a guy that's not a contractor. And meditation. You know what meditation is? Where you just sit there and you think about it. You think about it and you plan someone's demise. And you say, Pastor, you're getting awful personal. You know what? I've done all of these. I, I, I have illustrations for every one of those. I have names that I could put to those. I have situations I could illustrate. I'll let you fill in your own. We cope or we resolve. How do we resolve? We turn it to God. We turn it to God. Two things I want to touch on. That was all introductory. I want to talk about the impact of generational iniquities. Generational iniquities. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I think some guy taught on that for like three weeks. Um, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But listen to this. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. When you read that, it can get a little depressing because it seems unfair. What do you mean God is going to put something on me that my parents did? I'm not saying, friends, that he put it on you. Let's talk about what an iniquity is. An iniquity is an inner bent. How many love Monterey? One of the most remarkable things of Monterey is the cypress trees. Because they all got together in a conference and said, now we should put our branches this way so the wind will blow right through us and not blow us over. Some of you are going to go home and Google that and want to see where the cypress conference was. The trees didn't have a conference. They're under the constant influence of the breeze coming off the ocean. So that's the way they grow. It's their inner bent, if you will. I have an inner bent. 
that really impacted me. I lived in a home. My, I mentioned my mother, and, and she was a saint, and she loved Jesus and gave her whole life till till she passed in the eighty in her eighties. She was still going to take care of her little old people, which were all younger than her. She held a church service at a nursing home. She took people to the groceries. She just was that way. So please don't get a picture of Ruth O'Connell as some. She didn't have horns. But she grew up in the Depression, and she was the youngest of six. And uh, that, and and then she married my dad, and they were four square pastors. And and in the early days of our movement, the the motto of many church councils was, uh, "Lord, if you'll keep them humble, we'll keep them poor." Um, <laughs> my my parents took their first church in Kansas, and Dad used to joke, he said, they enticed us with $15 a week, whether we needed it or not. And apparently most weeks we didn't. My parents tell of many times on Mondays that they would sit down and, and put out plates on the table and pray over the meal and then wonder what it was going to be. And one story they tell about uh, Dr. Vince Bird, who was an official in Foursquare that pastored a church up the road a ways, about 20 miles, showed up and said, the Lord just led us to come down here and see you guys and pray with you and, and leave you 20 bucks. That's over a week's salary. My dad said, I didn't care if they prayed. I wanted to leave to go over to the store and get some bacon, eggs, and bread. And we were going to have breakfast. So that's what she grew up with, and then that's what the early ministry was. And so my mom always had a phrase, well, this week we're going to be a little short. Now, how did that impact me? I grew up around a little short. I grew up with, Mark, can we borrow some money from you to get through the week? That's what I grew up with. Now, so imagine, I'm, I'm, this is a lot of self-confession here. If you're just visiting, are you coming because you like Chris and he enticed you and, and, and he begs you to come see the other guy once? And, and he's, he's close to the end anyway. Just teasing people, just teasing, just teasing. But uh, imagine, here's a self-confession. I grew up in a home where, we're always a little short, a little short. My mom, my dad never was that way, but my mom, always a little short. So what do you think that makes me want to do with money? Hold on. But what's my other thing, my other big thing? Rejection. So I want to be generous. I was conflicted. So when I'm a junior uh, in, in high school and in my Sunday school class, our, our Sunday school teacher says, boy, it sure be nice. I'm looking forward to the day that I can afford to get this reference Bible, like a Schofield reference Bible. And most of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm Dale and some of us that have been around. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, it was 20 bucks or whatever. And so I got the Sunday school class together and said, you know, we ought to buy this Bible for our team, and everybody loved it. Oh, sure, sure. It was $43. Guess who paid 40 And guess who drove 60 miles to get it? He said, well, you must have been generous. I was because there my generosity would gain me acceptance. But when the offering plate came by, That's an inner bent. Hang on. Hang on. It was an influence. My parents would have never said to me, don't, don't give to God. They would have never said that they were, they were faithful and first. You know what I'm saying? If they got $10, a dollar went. I mean, they, they were, you know, they understood the principle of first. But I'm just telling you that other thing, I'm a little short. 
well, why would I put him there? That's not going to gain me any acceptance. Hmm? Wow. And iniquity is an inner bent. The Hebrew word is avon. It means to bend, twist, to pervert. I gave, did, did we have the insert in the program? Look at, look at the list there on the iniquity side. This is a quiz. We'll ask you to circle the top five for you and put them in the offering plate. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Just teasing. I would never do that. I'll have Chris do it. Um, <laughs> well, that coffee was great. Wow. You know, iced coffee has more caffeine. Um, the way your family resolved conflict, the way your family handled money, uh, attitudes about submission to God. You look at that list, okay? I'm not going to read it to you. We'd be here all day. But those are the kinds of things that become iniquities because of things that were done around us or to us. Does that make sense? I'm, I, w I will go to the last one. Oh, dear God, he's talking about sexual sins. I grew up in the purest home that there ever could be. <laughs> I'm just going to, it was. And yet I struggled with things that made no sense. I, I couldn't understand, why is that an issue for me when I'm not exposed to it? Does that, does that make any sense? And it wasn't until I heard James Robison, you know, you know who he was, probably uh, the preeminent evangelist until he formed Life Today, and now most of his ministry is on TV. But if you've ever heard James' story, when he was holding these huge crusades that were kind of the size of Billy Graham stuff, he'd say he'd be getting up to preach, and he would be looking out, and he'd see women in the audience, and he said, I would just burn with lust for them while I'm preaching. And he he couldn't understand why. He said, you know, I just, God, why? God, why? Well, it turns out that his mother was raped. And he was conceived in rape. And that's where the sexual thing came in that he struggled with. And when, when I heard him tell that story, I'm not saying I was conceived in rape, but probably out of wedlock. It's the 50s. You couldn't abort. Suddenly it all made sense. There was something put in my life that I had nothing to do with. That's an iniquity. Point B, recognize the influence of family iniquities. That's the story I just shared with you. We often repeat the behavior we witnessed in our parents because of exposure to the behavior. And that is our experience, friends, and it's powerfully entrenched. Iniquities can be the cause of inexplicable behaviors. You do stuff and you don't even know why. I'm going to assume that everybody's quiet because I'm getting close to home. There's a reaction to generational influences, and they're called inner vows. Inner vows. And, and what are inner vows? Well, they're a self-directed promise resulting from an unpleasant experience or hurt from a life situation by a parent or someone else. Growing up, listen to a little short, guess what I wanted to make sure? I was never poor. That's an inner vow. That's why when the offering plate came by, it's like, do I really want to let go of that? No, I'd made an inner vow. I'm not going to tell my kids we're a little short. Now, sometimes, I'm going to be honest, my hanging on to this made us a little short. Because it's like the Fram oil filter commercial. You can pay me for the filter now, or you can pay me later when your engine goes out. Yeah. Come next week for that one. There's examples. I think it's on the other side, isn't it, Dale? Is that how we printed it? I, I know I gave it to her a couple weeks ago. There's inner vows. I'll never treat my kids like that. I'll never spank my children. 
I'll never yell at my kids. I'll never make my kids work. I'll never be poor. You see what they are. You know what they are. The one that has a little line after it, I will never be dependent upon. That, that's mine. I am stubbornly independent. Makes it hard to be married. But when people you've trusted have hurt you, it's like, <laughs> I'm going my own path and I'm not going to count on anybody. Does that, does that, is this too much self-confession? It's like, Mark's in the booth today and he thinks he's at the Catholic Church. <laughs> and hey, with the last name O'Connell, I've been asked, why are you in the wrong denomination? Anyway. Here's five, I'm full of them today. Five problems, that's because I've been off for three weeks. It's amazing. <laughs> Here's five problems with inner vows. Number one, they're unscriptural. Matthew 5 says, but I, but I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Don't just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that's from the evil one. James 4 I referenced that. You might want to look it up, 13 through 15. That says, don't ever say today or tomorrow we're going to do this, we're going to do that, because you don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. The second problem with an inner vow is when inner vows control us, Jesus is not in control. I shared with you my illustration of giving. I didn't want to give to the church. I didn't want to give to God because I had vowed I'm not going to be poor. But I will, conversely, give generously if it's public that I can gain acceptance from someone receiving the gift. Inner vows prevent obedience and maturity in Christ. They prevent us being obedient to and mature in Christ. Number four, inner vows are a direct threat to the lordship of Jesus. You know, if, if you have a vow that says, I will never or I will always, and then God says, I want you to do this, and now you're in a conflict with the, the direction of the Lord or the Holy Spirit and something you've pledged, do you, do you think that would be a little awkward? Inner vows will make you overreact. And inner vows make you unteachable. Wow, he's been negative today. Send him away for another three weeks. Uh, well, here's the good news. There is a point four. I want to talk about how we break the power of family iniquities and inner vows. Listen to this. Write it down and then get ready. The primary purpose of Jesus' ministry was to preach some good sermons Multiply McDonald's. No. The primary purpose of Jesus' ministry was to redeem. That's to buy back people that are captive and heal lost and hurting humanity. Who would that be? Anyone that ever experienced the first point of this teaching, life hurts. Listen to what Isaiah prophesies about this coming Messiah. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Isaiah wrote this 700 years later. There was a man that walked into a synagogue, and they said, Would you like to deliver the message? And he opened the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this very thing to a group of people in a synagogue. And then he said, Today this is fulfilled in your midst. All three points, everything on the insert, 
all of it was addressed by this man, this Christ, Jesus. Join me, Chris. So right in the middle of my teaching, point 4B, it says communion. It doesn't say that in yours, but it does in mine. Why do we take communion? Because we celebrate the Lord's death. You say, how do you celebrate somebody's death? Well, we're not celebrating his death so much as we're celebrating what it has done for us. Many churches call this the Eucharist. Charis is a gift. What's the gift? Redemption and restoration of all of that stuff. Have you ever felt oppressed? Have you ever been brokenhearted? Have you ever been captive? Have you ever been poor? Have you ever mourned? This God man showed up and said, I'm going to take care of all of that for you. All the generational things that were put on you, I'm going to take care of those. All the hurts that were caused to you, I'm going to bear those for you. All those inner vows that you made as a result of your pain, I'm going to ask you to release them to me and I'll release you from their grip. Oh, glory be to God. So, Father, 2,000 years ago, your son met with his disciples in a room and they, they celebrated the Passover in a different way. And he took two elements that were part of that Passover feast, the bread and the cup, and he blessed them and he prayed over them and he told his disciples to take and eat because this was now his body and his blood that, that was going to be shed for them. They didn't get it because it was just going to be a day later. And we are challenged here 2,000 years later to, to do that, not because because our Jesus is in a grave, but because he's alive and risen and because he lives, we shall live also. And because he lives, everything that he promised back then when he read Isaiah 61 makes it true. He did it. So Lord, as Jesus blessed the bread, I bless the bread today and I bless the cup today. May it be spiritual nourishment to us. May it bring healing and wholeness in Jesus' name. I'd like you just to, if you 
want to look at that paper and say, here's some things I'm giving to you, Lord. Do that. Eat and drink when you're ready. Isaiah 53, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own him the sins of us all. Thank you, Father, for that truth. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. five more points just joking what do we do with all of this life hurts all this stuff has happened some of it's a result of my actions some of it happened to me what do, what do we do well first of all we have to acknowledge this is B in your notes acknowledge the problem is sin the next one is the most painful one to fill in Take responsibility. But Mark, you just said it was was something that was put on, it was an iniquity, an inner being. It was put on us. No, it, it was an influence. It was an influence, but we still have a choice. Take responsibility for your sin. I, I'm going to say, church, stop blaming and stop deflecting I'm this way because I grew up in that house that's nice I, I, I shared a whole most of my sermons said yeah that happens to us but then I also just shared the great truth that Jesus went to the cross so that all of that stuff would be taken off of us. And what's the point of today? When we switch from being independent, I'm going to take care of me, to saying I'm going to be dependent upon you, God. Guess what? He frees us from all of that stuff. I was teaching this teaching in a, the church, our sister church in Penn Valley. And as I was teaching it, it the thing I shared was my biggest struggle. And I said, and God makes us free. And, and as clear as Dale and I were having a conversation, he said, and I did, Mark, I did. And what a liberating thing. You say, you mean as a pastor you needed to be freed from something? Yes, I did. Quit blaming deflecting own it because when you own it then God can deal with it letter D forgive parents and others you don't know how me my mom was you know, 
No, I don't. You know, my parents did the best that they could. They were human, though. Joe and I, we, we did the best that we could. But we're human. We recognized this, I don't know what, about 15 years ago, this whole thing. We got our kids together, and here's what we said. We don't want our iniquities to continue. We don't want our family iniquities to continue. We're drawing a line in the sand today. We stop these things. And here's what we said to them. There's things that we did right, that we, our life was an influence. It was a blowing of the wind in your life. Keep doing those. Make those part of your heritage. I said, and there's things that we did wrong, and you know what they are. And one of our kids said, yeah, and you've told us about them too many times. <laughs> we said, we've asked God to forgive us for those. And we ask you to forgive us for those. And as you do, how do you break the law of sowing and reaping? You break it by appealing to a higher law. What's the higher law? It's the law of love. What is the law of love? It's forgiveness. What I'm telling you is life-changing, friends. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. It is life-changing. If you can get it into your spirit, then how do I defeat these things that have been in my life forever? I forgive the causes because how do I overcome Sowing and reaping, which is an, what iniquity is. It was put in you and you're behaving it out. Does that make sense? This is the best teaching I will ever give this church ever. If you can get it, that you always overcome a spirit with the greater spirit, the opposite spirit. How do you overcome what was sown in you? You forgive those that's, that sowed it. Now I'm not saying if, I'm not saying go back and be vulnerable again. If you were in a marriage relationship and you had an abusive spouse, you need to forgive that person. I'm not saying go back and get beat up again. No, 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 no. Am I am I okay? Forgive your parents. Forgive others. Submit those areas to Jesus. That's the dependent piece right there. Submit those areas to Jesus. And ask the Holy Spirit for power to identify and break inner vows. I'm done. <laughs>